What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I am elated to be able to sit down and catch up with one of our fantastic speakers for the 2023 seminar, Coach Boo. Coach, fired up to have you with us today. Uh, so excited to have you as part of the event. How are we doing, bud? I'm doing fine, man. I'm um, just uh, enjoying the holidays and trying to catch up on a little work and everything, just so. Excited to be here and talk to another great coach this morning. Well, I appreciate that, Coach. And, you know, let's catch everybody up here since, you know, we last got to catch up in, in uh, up in Pittsburgh at the, you know, at, up there at Hammer's Place for the great event that we were able to, to host up there. So in the past, you know, six, eight months here, what's been new in the life of Coach Boo? Well, that was a great event. I enjoyed that tremendously, and I still appreciate the, uh, the invite. But um, I... Uh, a few things that happened to me for me since then. I've left collegiate coaching. I'm not involved in any, I'm not working for any school anymore for the first time in a while. And uh, I'm pretty much now settled into just doing consulting work and coaching education work. I do a lot of clinics. I do a lot of instruction and coaching education program. I do a lot of consulting work for some professional sports teams and some NCAA teams and some, a uh, uh, couple of foreign countries. Um, in the track and field world. So I'm still staying pretty busy though. That's awesome. You know, and, and being able to continue to to help educate coaches and, and help them to have a bit of a better understanding of your methods and means and how you look at things is is really awesome. And it's it's something that I think that a lot of coaches really need to take a greater advantage of because some of the, the things that you see, you know, both like what we talked about in Pittsburgh when it comes to a rehab setting. Um, and also what, you know, we're going to talk about down in Atlanta when it comes to, you know, teaching athletes how to be faster in a speed setting, albeit are, are a bit unique to what some people say. But I think that one thing that I would say most about Coach Boo's approach is it's a scientifically practical common sense method. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, you know, it is based in sports science. And I, I was very fortunate when I was uh when I first got involved in coaching education back in the 80s, um, one of the people who was um, very versed and uh, involved in the writing of all of that curriculum was uh, Roger Inoka, neurophysiologist. And uh, being around him, the uh, effects of how you train the nervous system have always been a part of my philosophy. And the fact that he was involved and kind of in my ear for the first, uh, for those critical um, seminal years of my uh, of my uh, coaching career, I think was a very helpful. And but I always try not to overdo the science, so to speak, meaning that you have to be grounded in science. But at the same time, being grounded in science means that you are grounded. So you have to be somewhat resistant resistant to fads, or you're looking at research more from the standpoint of affirmation than an opportunity or a need to make radical changes in your program and so forth. So I try to stay grounded in that regard. Saying grounded in science keeps you grounded. I think that that is like hammer meat nail, you know, because I think all <laughs> too often we, and, and I've, shoot, pointing the thumb here, guilty as charged, you know, we people, we're people that love to read papers and books and talk about the latest and greatest whatever. Um, but I think especially over the past two or three years, you know, the whole idea of just following the science has kind of turned into a new different thought process to begin with. And having a 
the ability to take a step back and say, yeah, but does it fit or does it make sense? Or will this actually lead to the next step or will this build off the prior step is really like what separates a lot of coaches in my opinion. No, I agree. You know, what's interesting is uh, I've been doing this a very long time. 40 years ago, I'd give a presentation and people would leave the presentation saying, wow, that guy, he's good. He's scientific. And now I give the exact same presentation and people talk about how it's common sense. So it, it tells you how the coaching culture has kind of shifted, you know, and uh, at, at this stage in my career, uh, I like to read research still. But as I said, I'm looking more for affirmation than anything else most of the time. You know, most of the things that I get from research are, oh, I, I've been doing this for a long time. This is why it works. Oh, well, that's a little slight angle on different angle on what I've been doing for a long time or whatever the case may be. You know, so, so in short, I'm not looking to revamp. And I don't think that most coaches should be looking to revamp, you know, because uh, I think one of the things we fail to do sometimes is to be critical of the research. You know, sometimes a research paper is simple, simply uh, 16 or 18 PE students who were failing a class and needed extra credit who volunteered for something. And it doesn't really have any application to your particular setting, particularly if you're involved in high performance. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a whole other rabbit hole we could run down as to how you can identify better research and things that actually I don't know if matters the word, but I think you know what I mean by that. When you're looking at what the study is looking at, who it's looking at, how it was collected, what was actually even like the math utilized to figure out if there was any sort of worthwhile change or not. Because at the end of the day, you know, just like what we talk about when it comes to sport, right? Like in, in these research papers, the X's and O's sometimes aren't as important as the James and Joe's that are involved <laughs> in the study, you know? Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. But as you continue to keep going and, you know, looking for these things, you know, what are some things that you kind of get as an FAQ when it comes to this work that you're doing? You know, is, is there something that if Coach Boo were to sit there and say, there's one thing that I think that a lot of coaches either ask the same question about or they're kind of going in a – maybe not a wrong, but maybe not the most uh, efficient direction in, you would say is what? Well, I, I think that, you know, I have a different perspective because I kind of started as a sport coach and then moved over to the strength and conditioning field later in my career, later in life. And the thing that struck me in like this is a field where things change fast and there are a lot of commercial interests that are driving things. And there are a lot of uh, smart people who are putting materials out there that are driving things. And I always felt like the field was hyper-reactive in some respect. And I think that sometimes we don't really evaluate the current trend, the current fad, whatever the case may be. And I think that a lot of coaches are really quick to jump out of what they're doing and jump into things that maybe aren't necessarily the the, uh, the most sound or might actually be somewhat flawed in some of the uh, philosophies or the science that underlies them. So again, um, you got to keep in mind, I'm the person that was looking for like a Windows 7 computer when Windows 8 was out because I didn't trust Windows 8 yet. I'm always kind of the last person to move forward uh, on new things until I'm really sure because uh, new technology and new uh thought processes and things like that. I like to make sure that they're really evaluated well before I'm going to throw away 
uh, a whole bunch of years of experience, you know, um, and every time you've revamped, that's a good thing. That's an opportunity for improvement, but it also means that you've junked a lot of your experience and I'm always hesitant to, to, to do that. No doubt. And I think that what kind of piggyback that, I think something that's really funny is we, we both, right. You would hope in sport coaching and in you know the performance realm, one thing we pride ourselves on is the building of these plans, right? Because everybody loves to say, keep plan B as close to plan A as possible. But whenever there's a new shiny gadget that comes out, if you chuck plan A, like if you didn't let plan A finish, then it wasn't plan A. It was just, <laughs> it was just the soup du jour, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so in short, I always look at all the new trends that come out and they all come from brilliant people. So I always look at them. I always look, to tweak my program, you know, the 1% or the 2% kind of based on what they're saying. Uh, once I feel like I've evaluated it thoroughly. Yeah, no, and that's great because it, again, continuing to grow, continuing to find the little tweaks here and there, but understanding that your big rocks are your big rocks. And I think that, that especially as younger coaches, people sometimes miss the boat with that and they just throw the baby out with the bathwater and start over with whatever the new crazy, you know, multi-tiered you know tempo programming may be what ends up being half the stuff's just three sets of 10 and it doesn't really matter anyway at the end of the day right yeah you know i i i, I teach a strength and conditioning course for track and that's predominantly for track and field coaches um so that they can become better at writing their own strength programming and make a long story short um we teach weight training and medicine ball training and general strength training and plyometric training. And we cover those things very thoroughly, but there's always somebody in the back of the room who gets upset because we're not covering this or that or this or that. And when I, they ask me why I say, because in two years, that'll all be gone. And there'll be somebody else in the back of the room who's bringing up a new set of topics, you know? So I like to just stay grounded in the things that are time proven. And uh, as the new stuff comes, I like to, kind of use it i think of it more as the seasoning than the food yeah no doubt there's a reason certain things like yoga and acupuncture and sprinting have been around for thousands of years when it comes to you know helping develop humans <laughs> there's probably something to it you know mm -hmm. so anyway but it make a long story short i i don't want to be anti-technology in fact I, i'm i'm right. The luckiest person in the world because I came up without technology um, and then had developed ideas of how to coach. And then as the technology came in, well, now I've got opportunities to accurately measure a lot of the things that I always wanted to be able to measure. Um, so it's, it's the golden age, so to speak. But I do feel sorry for a young coach who might be trying to gain footing in the profession that has all of this technology around them and all of this stuff around them. And they really can't gain, gain solid footing on anything because there's so much out there and it can be so distracting. It's a tough time for it to, to, to sprout in the profession uh, in that regard. Oh, 100%. And we've really done a lot of auditing when it comes to the stuff that we're using you know, I, I, because I think, too, we as a vocation don't take enough from the simple metrics that we have, you know, whether it be taking splits in your 40s or looking at body weight changes and vertical jump, you know, just simple things mm -hmm. that you can look at. And then we start diving into bigger, deeper 
greater analytical providing devices. And we still don't know if there's been some form of like a body weight, you know, curve through the year where things change or what their stress level is like just based on classes. And we're not, we're, we're not taking as we love to say, take a low hanging fruit, but instead we just take this, you know, shiny object syndrome. And, <laughs> and we've been really evaluating what we use and have started to narrow it down quite a bit and try to get more from what we utilize than to utilize more and get less from it. And I think even more at the end of the day with that, not only does it help you as a coach, but like the athletes are so much more appreciative of it. You know, like instead of doing like 13 tests, if you're running one and you're getting 13 metrics, they're not, they're not guinea pigs. They're not yeah. lab mice. Like mm -hmm. make sure whatever you're using, you're using efficiently and getting everything from it and then grow from there. Yeah, when you start to overdo testing, the athlete starts to feel more like a victim than a participant in training in some ways. You know, the, the whole, am I really broke? Am I that broken kind of thing can be an underlying psychological dilemma that comes about as a result of excessive data collection and testing. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's especially with more and more of today's young people the more things you tell them that you're looking at, the more chances there are for them to tell you why you're looking at it. Like they can come up with, oh, well, we're looking at the groin, but oh, that's funny because you know, you're looking at groin strength. Well, my groin's been really tight or, <laughs> and I, you know, and it's, you know, it's like when you go to the doctor, right? Lab coat syndrome. You, you see the doctor, your blood pressure goes up, most people. Yeah, or if the doctor comes back into the office the second time and says, we need to run some tests, you know, that that kind of sets you off on a, in panic mode. It's kind of like that sometimes, I think. Oh, 100%. And again, if you can sit there and you can take one metric and do eight to 10 things with it, and you can show them why that's important, I mean, then, then they start to believe in it even more, you know? And it's at least, knock on wood, that's what we've seen. It's like, when you can do more with less, you get more from the kids. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Well, Coach, I, again, super fired up to have you here and I'm really fired up to get to these big three questions. You know, we changed it up a little bit from last year because uh, selfishly, I wanted to have a little bit of fun and, and get a little different point of view from everybody that's going to be involved in the event. So let's get to the big three here and, and get rolling. Sure. So we'll date ourselves here a little bit here, Coach, and, and talk about <laughs> Doc Brown and Marty McFly. Hopefully people understand the joke there. Yeah, those but, are my best years. <laughs> if they show up with a DeLorean, you're <laughs> going to get one trip back in time to teach yourself one lesson. What is Coach Boo's lesson and why? Yeah, my lesson is going to be to go back and to trust my instincts a little bit more. In the early stages of coaching, when I thought I was seeing some things, uh, I was hesitant to move on them simply because I couldn't get confirmation by research or peers or whatever the case may be. And I felt like there were athletes that I had that probably could have done better, athletes I had that I could have developed uh, to a higher level if I had simply kind of trusted my instincts to some extent and been willing to kind of, I, I don't like using the word counterculture, 
but in some ways actually going counterculture and 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 look and um, using some of the things that I use today then. I think probably every coach could probably have that same experience or answer that question the same way. But I genuinely feel it. And the, the, um, Dan Path was my greatest mentor. And Dan Path, the greatest thing he did for me was nothing he taught me. It was He was the person that finally convinced me to look, just trust yourself. Don't be afraid to move counterculture. Don't be afraid to move away from the norm uh, if you feel like you have a good scientific basis in that. I wish I had a, uh, I wish Dan had, uh, that DeLorean had brought Dan to me about 10 years early. I think anybody that's ever gotten the chance to sit down with Dan would say pretty much the same thing, you know, getting to sit down and learn with Dan and, and listen to him talk and, and evaluate training, I think is the same idea that people say when it comes to investing, right? They, they wish they would have done it when they were 18 or 20 or whatever, you know, so that things could have grown and, and gotten that much further. He's had such a fantastic impact on so many people. Mm-hmm. But also with that, I guess I'm going to piggyback that question with another question selfishly, because so many of those toe stubbings, let's call them, when you've second guessed yourself, when you thought you should go a different way, and then you come back and you do it later, are what really end up being what build us as coaches. No question. I mean, the the mistakes you make are the greatest vitamin pill you take as a coach, you know, and the problems you solve uh, are what actually build you. So I guess it's safe to say to some extent that um, maybe we wouldn't have traveled the same route had things gone a little differently at that point, or maybe I wouldn't have become the person that I, that I am now or the person I'm fairly happy with. The mistakes you make are the greatest vitamin pill you take as a coach. That's awesome. If you're willing to fairly evaluate yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't lose all my hair because I patted myself on the back for everything I did. And I thought that everything I thought was correct all the time, you know, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think that might be my single biggest strength, simply the fact that I was never afraid to really be critical of myself. And um, I don't know, maybe that was a blessing. Maybe it's how I was raised, but that was something that was extremely helpful to me. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've been most fortunate with here is I've been allowed to fall on my face and make those mistakes and and learn that way. Because all too often, I mean, especially in the, the bigger sports, air quotes, right? Like basketball, football, you know, you, mistakes aren't allowed. You know, if, if you go the wrong direction and things don't go the way that they want, you know, you're you're out of a job. And I've been really fortunate to have someone that was patient enough with me you know as i've been an 18 to 22 year old knuckleheaded you know too you know through my mid to late 20s and early 30s trying to figure some things out to to be able to to trip and fall and make mistakes and yeah the greatest vitamin you could you could take and that's yeah 100 percent. i think kids i think kids are afraid of it now yeah 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 uh you know, I always, you know, athletes used to come to me asking about this and that, and sometimes they had their relationship problems. I would always ask them, you know, whether it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, do you like, do you like her at least 90%? Oh yeah, I like her 90% of her. So well, that's as good as it gets, son. You know, <laughs> you know but that's, that's pretty much what, how the world works. You know, if you can, 
get a, if you have a coach who's making like 90% of the right decisions or a spouse who's doing you like 90% of the time or a boss that you enjoy working for 90% of the time, that's about as good as it gets. But I hate yeah. to see that maybe the secret to happiness in life is a slightly lower bar, but there might be some truth to that. That's fantastic. Tiff, if you're listening to this, it's 100% for me. I just want you to know that. <laughs> but, no, that's great. But I also think that's a great lead into the second question too, Coach. And that is, you know, when we sit here and we talk about coaching, whether it be in the performance realm or, or even sport coaches, we, we pretend to have all the answers. But I, I think more often than not, we don't even know the questions we should be asking yet. So in your opinion, what's one question you feel we're missing to ask and why do you feel that's important and how could it impact us uh, as a vocation? I still, going back to what I was saying about Inoka, I still think that there are vast areas that are unexplored um, when it comes to the nervous system and how the nervous system activates muscle tissue. You know, it's probably the single most performance related body system. And at the same time, it might be the one we understand the least or the one we in, in coaching culture often uh, kind of assume something good happens without directly targeting it. You know, most of the really good coaches I know uh, are making assumptions as to what's happening with that system. They're making assumptions as to what's happening with rate coding and short-term rate coding, long-term recruitment capability, short-term and long-term when we are we're flying totally by the seat of our pants on hunches that we kind of think. And it would be really nice if that corner of the world was really investigated well. I don't know why it's not investigated well. Maybe the technology uh, for the research doesn't exist. I don't know. But to make a long story short, that's that's to me the, the, the frontier that we need to be exploring in that regard. You know, if I know the guesses that I make. I know the assumptions I operate on and been very good to me over the years. But if I'm 5% off, just think what I could have done had I known more precisely exactly what was going on in these particular areas, in these uncharted uh, waters, so to speak. But, you know, um, we have to live with that. We have to, uh, we have to be accepting of that. You know, it's been my experience, and this is not a bash on anybody, but I always felt that coaches, you're in a high you know, you, you know what the pressures are in coaching and coaches are driven people. They're driven to win. Some coaches are driven to win. Some are motivated by fear of failure, whatever, but all coaches are highly motivated people. And I've always felt that coaches are typically 20 or 25 years ahead of the research. You know, and that's why I think that if you're kind of waiting for research to pat you on the back and point you in the right direction, then you're going to pretty much be well behind, uh, behind other people, you know. Um, this is this is going to sound a little crude, but I'll share it with your audience anyway, is, you know, um, I, I have a unique way of doing ACL rehab that's proven to be very effective. And I presented on that several times and I kind of presented on some of those uh, in Pittsburgh on some of those uh, basic, you know, philosophical tenets that I use in rehab. And one person challenged me one time and said, well, you shouldn't be doing this because it's not peer reviewed. And then I started thinking to myself, so. I figured this stuff out and I have to wait until everybody else understands it before I can use it. That doesn't make much sense. So I, I think that coaches always are, have a pioneer spirit. And I constantly encourage coaches to remember that the most important research available to you uh, is the research that takes place in your lab every day. You know, when you're coaching a group of athletes in a, 
any setting, it's 95% work and 5% experimentation. And always value that 5% experimentation more than anything you're going to read in any book anywhere. No doubt about it. And I think that The scariest part about that, right, is in, in a sense, I understand when you're talking about the rehab aspect, because it would be, quote unquote, again, air quotes, medical. So the idea of the peer review, I understand where this person is coming from. <laughs> but again, in that sense, we're talking about life and sport. And if everything was peer-reviewed so that we all had the same answer, we would all do the same things, we would all get the same results, and games would be really boring. <laughs> yeah, it would be terrifying. And don't get me wrong, I don't, you know, I don't point to any haphazardness, and we need checks and balances in every, uh, in every procedure, you know, in, every, in, in everything that we do. But sometimes these types of, these kind of cultures become ball and chains that we drag around and they really hold us back in some regards when it comes to advancing what we do and taking new steps. Well, no doubt about it. But I also think, too, as we look at those things and being questioned and building out different thoughts to try to stay ahead and continue to grow, um, it leads perfectly into the third question, too, Coach, and that is, you know, what is the major change that you've made in your career that has improved not just your life, at work, on the track, in the weight room, but away from work as well. And, and what brought you to that crossroads? I, I've come to the realization that as much as you love coaching, you have to have other interests in your life. Uh, I've been a victim of coaching burnout a couple of times to the point where I'm pretty much grinding and not, you know, my eyes are not seeing things as clearly as they should be. And uh, it, it's, it's just, it came to me that I needed to be diverse in my interests. Even professionally, I've tried to reinvent myself to some extent, you know, find new areas of interest that I want to dabble in and new areas of interest that I want to study and start to apply into my coaching practices and such. So I, I think being a diverse person uh, in, in what you do professionally and also having uh, significant uh, loves and interests outside of the work that you do yourself are the things that have probably gotten me to this point and kept me alive, to be frank. Yeah. I think that the longer everyone stays in the, the game, if you may, the more they find the things away from work and being just having something else is just as important, if not more important than anything that you do. Yeah, it really keeps you balanced, you know, and and I encourage all the young coaches that I mentor and there are hundreds of them, you know, to, you know, to, to, yeah, coach with passion. And when you're out there, coach with all your heart, but try to find ways to um, lighten the load, so to speak, like, you know, uh, the, the time that you spend at that computer uh, putting together super hyper detailed Excel, Excel spreadsheets of these loading schemes and whatever. Uh, I'm not so sure that's as important. And I, I just started, I reached the point in my coaching where I realized the more time I spent writing workouts, the less effective I was at watching them. And I was investing far too much energy into the side of coaching that, you know, was, was not really helping the athletes, so to speak. 
uh, I remember there was a time when I wrote 18 different workouts. Now I pretty much write one with a couple of uh, options in it. And uh, I can adjust things on the fly and so forth. And now I'm constantly uh, observing things and I see things better. My eyes are clearer uh, as I work with athletes. Whereas the ultimate details that I was chasing in some way, shape, or form were preventing me from doing that. So in short, I, I think we need to look at everything we do in the coaching world and in our lives and just kind of, is this really helping? You know, is this level of detail, is this level of work really helping? Or could I be investing elsewhere and become more effective in that regard? That, that, that was my, um, that was my, um, my revelation. I think that's a pretty neat observation that the more time you spent at your computer writing the program, the less time you spent really focusing on what was going on. And I think that that's one that more and more people that are listening right now are going to take a step back and say, yeah, you know, because I spent so much time at the computer that I thought it was perfect. So I didn't worry about the intangible things that I that really are important because you put the time in to the wrong part of it. Yeah. No, you're right. Coaching's three things. It's planning, observing, and reacting. And those second two, um, sometimes we forget about those, I, I think. You know, the, the planning side, the, the person with the most detailed plan doesn't necessarily win. In fact, you probably know coaches who make the most phenomenally looking detailed plans, and for some reason, things don't really click for them. Maybe that's why. Yes. You know, and that kind of hits a little close to home because that's been a conversation we've been having here for quite a few days now is, you know, the importance of the plan and how important could it be and how in-depth you need to go with it or where it actually fits and what you do. Because there needs to be some form of a plan. But yeah. how important of the plan, like how... Do you need a full GPS or do I just need to know I need to drive from <laughs> Richmond to Atlanta? You know? Yeah. No, you're right. You know, and, and like I said, planning is an important part of it, but it's only one third of it. And it's the one third of coaching that you spend away from the athletes. So let's not overvalue it. No doubt. Well, coach. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us again today. Super fired up to have you joining us at Play HQ down there in Atlanta in July. Um, but before we get out of here, let's let's get you out of here with this really quick. Is you know we talked a little bit about some of the thoughts and the ideas behind the ACL rehab in Pittsburgh. What are we going to get into when we get up to? Atlanta in, in July. I'm going back to my roots. Um, I'm going to cover a topic. It's kind of a several key parts of it, but I'm going to call it critical factors in speed development. Um, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that probably 75% of NCAA athletes never really reach their potential as far as speed is concerned. And I want to get into speed programming, the mistakes that some people make, I think, in speed programming. Some of them are very well-intentioned, but that cause speed programming to fail. And another thing I'm going to touch on is not the actual programming of speed itself, but how other aspects of program often interfere with speed acquisition 
you know, you have a lot of coaches who are doing speed programming very well, but they're doing other aspects of programming that might actually interfere with the effectiveness of the speed programming that they're writing. And I'm going to get into some of those types of things. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Coach, fired up. Can't wait to catch up in July down in Atlanta. And again, always great to see you. So glad for your time. Great to catch up today. Appreciate you being with us today. It's always wonderful talking to you again. Happy New Year and uh, um, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, and as always, thank you for tuning in today and everything you all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome presenter. We'll see you then.